Hi, and welcome to the second ever episode of The Sound of Not Getting Laid, where we're asking the question, do women really hate prog rock? My guest this week is a woman, Elizabeth Lakin. Hear her exuberance for Olivia Newton-John's Xanadu. Listen to her regale us with tales of drunken acapella public disturbances of dust in the wind. Think about the implications of her ambiguous affinity for all things prog. All this and more on The Sound of Not Getting Laid. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Tobacco. Tobacco. It smells terrible, but you look cool while smoking it. Hi, and welcome to The Sound of Not Getting Laid, where we ask, <laughs> do women really hate prog rock? Today I have do with me... Do women know what it is? Uh, Elizabeth Lakin? Hi, Elizabeth. How are you? I am very good. How are you? I'm doing okay. Um, so what do you do? Oh, I do many things. Uh, my current incarnation is a project manager. For? For advertising. Uh-huh. Because okay. that's so exciting and so important right now. The, well. the disposable culture that we create, uh, that yeah. we contribute to. Yeah. I worry about historians in the future without, you know, at least now they'll know what the awful catalogs of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and early aughts look like. Yeah, and yeah. in a few years, they won't have that as a resource anymore. No, no. And how old are you? Matthew, you don't ask a woman that. This is why you don't women have to answer don't the like prog rock, because prog rock <laughs> people ask their age. No, I don't mind. I'm 50. Okay. Uh, where are you from? I'm from Brooklyn, New York. You were born in Brooklyn. I was. Amandity's Hospital. Nice. What kind of music did you listen to in high school, college years? Like, what was your jam? So, I did listen to music in high school and college, but it I'm not sure if it was my jam yet. Um, I had stuff, I sort of tagged along to whatever other people were listening to. And sure. uh, it wasn't until, like, I was 23. Two and living in a small town in Pennsylvania that had a very active music community where all of a sudden I was like, oh, my God, this is all so great. Live, seeing a lot more live music. Uh, prior to that, it was probably the new wave, the British new wave stuff mm-hmm. more than, mm-hmm. you know, the classic rock New York stations. But it was whatever was on the radio, which mm-hmm. is why. I know a million lyrics and have no clue who the band was. <laughs> All right. I could sing along to almost anything. Uh, so you weren't a record collector, CD buyer? I had records. Uh-huh. And actually, I'm trying to think. I had CDs that I liked. But I look back now and it was just sort of, there's nothing that pops until I started encountering sort of British New Wave. And then all of a sudden it was... Because it was just a little too early for grunge at that point. Mm-hmm. But I've, I mean, my first concert was Pat Benatar. Nice. My second concert was um, Olivia Newton John. So it went. <laughs> Fantastic. Because Xanadu, man, the oh, Xanadu yeah. soundtrack, oh, yeah. I used my allowance to buy. Uh huh. Was that the first record that you bought? I don't, Xanadu probably wouldn't have been the first album, but because I had, you know, I had Disney albums, the Disney (laughs) album books, you know, I can sing all the lyrics from the Robin Hood movie with the foxes. So, uh, so, so there was always music, but it wasn't until I was in my early twenties that it became 
like this very vivid, oh, I get to have my own taste, so I get to have something that's not on the radio that no one else knows about, these sort of pocket local bands. And so it was very, and it because it was being introduced to me, sort of whatever was playing live, it, it, although my heart is probably, I'm an indie rock girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, new wave into indie rock, grunge. I'll listen to anything. I really will, and I'll tr- and I'll try to see what there is to appreciate about it. Like, there's you're no, talking about what you listen to now. Like even back then, it was mm-hmm. like someone was passionate about music. I would want to know why. So what, what what do you listen to now? I mean, some of the same stuff, or yeah, I kind of sort of got locked into uh, breeders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a favorite band. Can I tell you yes, my favorite yes. band? Uh, Luna who were an uh, indie band, sort of uh, very lyric-heavy, very almost on the hypno side of um, indie indie rock. I that don't know that. They broke up 10 years ago, and then last year they had a reunion tour, 10th anniversary reunion tour. Uh, I, I, the year they broke up, I saw them four times, five times in three different cities, uh-huh. and then I've seen them three times, four times since they've come back. I love them. Like, I love their lyrics. That's love, your jam. That is my jam. Luna's my jam. Yola Tango. You are going uh, to rock school. Uh, Belly was great in the day. There was a band called Magna Pop out of down south somewhere that was awesome. I love them. But it was lyric-based, sort of female-driven indie rocks. Of course, women can play instruments. Of course, women can write songs. <laughs> sure, they can. Uh, what was the lyrical content of these bands like? I mean, did it did it have? Did they have? I'm, you know, forgive my ignorance. Yeah. I'm, I'm not. I don't know every band. You should pull uh, up some Luna so you can hear uh, it. I, I should uh, after this. Yes. Um, do you know? Do you remember a band called Galaxy 500? I don't. Okay, so Galaxy 500 uh, birthed. Uh, Damon and Naomi and Magic Hour and Luna and uh, then it was one of those things that when they broke apart they went different directions mm-hmm. um, The Feelies? Do you know The Feelies? I don't I uh, don't Indie Rock you you don't you need to It's just part of my learning process here to, is I'm going to be exposed yeah, to yeah. more different the kinds chills? of music No don't know don't know Um Anyway, see, so, I like to think I know a lot of music, Yola Tango, but you know, look, Yola Tango. I do, I do. I'm familiar okay. with them. I don't, I don't have any other. So records, Yola yes. Tango, my, of all the things I listen to, because I was thinking about this a little bit, um, might be in their own bizarre way the most similar in a completely opposite way to prog rock. Okay. Because they have some songs that go on forever. Uh huh. They're very instrumental at uh-huh. points. Okay. Uh, Odd meters. Odd meters. Polyrhythmic. Sure. Uh-huh. Um, Luna has some of the Yola Tango elements. Uh, so they may have been influenced by... Oh, they definitely knew each other. They were in New York rock. at the same time. Oh, yeah. I mean, Luna definitely comes from the Velvet Underground, and so does Yola Tango. Uh-huh. I mean, Yola Tango played the Velvet Underground in the Andy Warhol movie. Yeah, okay. Um, so, but wouldn't you say that... Most people who have electric guitars and drums are um, influenced by prog rock because prog rock is so wide. Like, there's such a wide scope of bands that would be considered prog rock. Yeah. I mean, if they're smart and if they're smart, they're prog rock, right? Well, I mean, you know, I'm I'm focusing on a very specific 
uh, era and and uh, criteria. Yeah, there's a lot of bands. You know, people think Kansas is prog rock. I'm like, no way. Uh, Carry on or, my wayward son. Yeah, I, you know, just because they had a violin in the band. It's like, well, yeah, not so, again. They had epic songs. Like, so where well, do you feel about Kansas? Talking about violins. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to interject my opinions here much. I okay. really want to get, I want to know what you think. I have a Kansas story, though. Okay. So... In junior high school, I was with a group of people who we like to walk and sing, mm-hmm. uh, most mostly to annoy people in the neighborhoods because there'd be like eight of us singing sure. at the top of our lungs, uh-huh. not necessarily in tune. Right. Uh, and "Dust in the Wind" was one of our <laughs> one of the ones we loved because at twelve it was deep. Yeah. And then when you'd get into the instrumentals, you could go, la, 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 la. Right, right, la, right. La, 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 uh-huh. you know? Right, sure. So, so that was just music to me. I didn't know what it was. It was just what we all sang to annoy people. And, I because, mean, and because it was deep and, and adult, and it must mean something. Mm-hmm. It must be important. Right. Because all we are is dust in the wind. That's Absolutely. Why not? And in like seventh grade, that's so you were sort of like kind drunken of rock and roll Christmas carolers. Um, sure. Yeah. Just pissing the neighborhood off. Uh, that's why. Dust like, in the wind. Like that's why you know. Um, one of my friends was really into Jefferson Starship, so we sang a lot of those songs. I don't even know what that would be. Like that's not prog rock, but what was it? No, no, they were rock and roll. I mean, they did Jefferson Airplane. Yeah. They, they came Jefferson out of Airplane, that yeah. and, and became Starship, I guess, in the '80s yeah. or something like that. But no, I, I don't really consider them prog rock. Uh, you know, you, you'll see the bands that when were... Wuthering Heights came out. When what's her name? Who who, who sang Wuthering Heights? Um, Kate Bush. Kate, Kate Bush. Bush. Oh yeah, I like Kate, Kate Bush. Bush. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. She's great. Not prog I, rock. I don't have any records. Not yeah. prog rock. Uh, but what I've heard, I like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, let's get to the first All song. All right. So this is uh, King Crimson, 1969, 21st century schizoid man. Uh, in my humble opinion, this is kind of the birth of prog rock. Um, uh, so here we go. <laughs> Is what that did you actually think of over? That? <laughs> it's hard to tell, right? It is hard to tell. Um, <laughs> you know, it must have been extraordinary to see that play live in, what did you say, 68? 69. 69. Yeah. I mean, I think it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's this amazing meeting of passion and utmost skill. Because you can't do that unless you have your instrument and your understanding of music locked mm-hmm. so solidly, especially if they were doing it on drugs. Like, it had to be well, such... Well, I don't know about these guys yeah. specifically on but this even, album, but yeah, it was a thing in the it's this amazing passion and expertise. And how is that not beautiful? Like, it's the most beautiful expression of the human spirit, not to be maudlin. But it's not easy listening. <laughs> I could see the bee forming on your lips, waiting for the but. Um, it's it's one of those things like no, it's not easy listening. It's not light. Going to a jazz club and then right. getting the 
right four or five people together. And then they just go on this amazing rift of musicality and inspiration. Right. Yeah. And if you can understand that, if you're open to that, it's extraordinary. And if you're not, it's cats shrieking on back walls in the middle of the night when you're trying to sleep. So it's a mindset more like this. This represents a mindset Mm -hmm. of where you're willing to go. Right. Which is a complicated way for me to say people aren't smart enough to understand this. (laughs) I'm not going to speak to that, Uh, whether this is music for smart people or, you know, dumb people can't get it. I don't know. No, Uh, and I don't even necessarily mean smart that way. Right. I just mean that the people doing this are thinking really big, complicated thoughts about music. Right. That not everyone would be able to or particularly interested in following. And if you're not, the that's the problem about, problem about using a word like smart because you think that the opposite of smart is dumb and the opposite of smart is disinterested. Right, right. Uh, it just might not be your thing. And there are right. plenty of movies like that or TV like that where what the person is doing is so specific using or is is so laden down with visual shortcuts that if you don't know them, it's going to be ostentatious or or problematic and mm-hmm. you don't want to follow along. But if you know it, you're like, oh, my God. Oh, right. my God. Right. So that's sort of how I sort of frame this. But the fact that there are human beings who can who decided to do that is pretty cool because, you know, it's so extreme. Right. I mean, you know, it did it did slowly evolve into something. I mean, you know, these this came out of uh, you know uh, psychedelic rock right. a lot, and uh, and and mixing that with elements of jazz right. and, and classical. So, um, but this isn't a song that you listen to for the lyrics. It's not something that'll ever be an anthem for a generation. Mm, probably not. No, no. And I guess that's the point. Not everything should be or can be, and that we're we're in such a not lowest common denominator, but everything needs to be four quadrant all the time. If you understand what that means, uh, that it lessens us as human beings because we're not all four quadrant, and you know you can't expand any art by being that way. Right. You gotta you gotta break some rules. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Although that cover's scary. <laughs> so here's a question I have for you. Yeah. Do I get to have questions for you? Sure. Are I can there, always edit them out. Are, <laughs> thank God. Um, <coughs> so are there any women of Prague Rock? Are there any bands with women leads, women bass players, women drummers, any women at all? Or is it really just, if it's prog rock, it's masculine? That's a good point. Everything we're listening to today is all men. Uh, these bands were all men. Uh, you know, uh, like Rush uh, in the 80s, uh, they did a song where they had Amy Mann come in. Okay, you know? so Till Tuesday? Okay, Amy Mann said hello to me. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. back in her Till Tuesday days. Okay. Because I was in Newberry Comics buying comic books as a woman in 84. Mm-hmm. And she used to work at Newberry Comics because Newberry Comics was actually, despite its name, a comic book store and a record store. Mm-hmm. And she used to work there before Till Tuesday. And she was in. And because I was like one of four women who bought comic books at Newberry Comics, the guys knew me. And when she came in, they introduced me to her. I was so, so amazing. Because <laughs> Till Tuesday and Amy Mann are big Okay, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that, but that was college, but right. um, big important stuff. Yeah, yeah, big big important stuff. Well, she said she sang uh, the choruses of "Time Stand Still" by okay. Rush. Do you remember okay. that song? No. Time stand still. Mm. Uh, yeah. And again, it could Terrible totally video. could totally be one of those songs that if you played it for me, I would remember. Yeah, but it was on I the have radio. a weird. I have a weird. Disconnect of and being was, able to pull things up. It was on the radio, and it was when Rush w- had gotten away from all their, you know, twenty-minute songs with drum solos and, you know, singing yeah. about uh, Bytor and the Snow Dog and all this, you know, mythical stuff. Uh, yeah. So it was a bit more accessible, you know. And a lot of these guys, when they uh, got into the '80s, you know, went off and said, "Okay, you know, enough of this uh, noodling around. Mm-hmm. Let's let's make a record that sells." Right. Right. Like Asia was born right. from members right. of King Crimson, and yes. Right. And where does um, Toto fall in this? I uh, just uh, bad music. Because <laughs> you were asking me about <laughs> Didn't albums. Did they do like Rosanna? You asked me about albums I had like in junior high school and high school, and I know I owned a Toto. A album. Toto record? Did it have a... Rosanna on it? Yeah, and, and didn't they? They do something about Africa. Like they had an Africa song, right? I, th- I think yes. Yeah. Uh, called Africa. Yeah. 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 I'm, I had that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a big. Uh, that sold a lot of 45s. Absolutely. I had 45s. I still do. So, you had a lot of insight into this song, Did I? Uh, but at the end of the day, are you going to go out and buy this record? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because no one buys records anymore. That's well, you know so what I mean. 20th yeah, century. Uh, uh, MP3, CD, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, Would I download? No, but the music I save is music I have emotional resonance with, especially in this day and age of trying to get rid of clutter. Mm-hmm. And there's no way a sane person has emotional resonance to this song. <laughs> so the, your feeling about this <laughs> is that it does not resonate with you emotionally. It does not resonate. Does it resonate with you emotionally? Other than other than what I said was, I find it thrilling and wonderful to know that people were doing this type of work and that right. this type of, because you can have sort of a bilateral opinion about things. Like it doesn't have to just be one thing. And right. I mean, I'm glad it exists. I think it's important to human civilization that it exists. And I think seeing it live, like if someone said, we're doing a live prog rock at Brooklyn, celebrate Brooklyn one year. They're going to be playing, coming up. I would actually, you know, seeing them live, I think that would be extraordinary. And I would totally do that. Wanting to listen to it, wanting it to come up when you hit sort of... um, Oh, what's the mix thing on iTunes? Shuffle. Like, shuffle. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want to hit the, hear this in the middle of shuffle, but I feel that way about Yola Tango, too, and I love Yola Tango. Like, because some Yola Tango songs are, like, seven minutes long, and it's all instrumental, and it's beautiful, but it's not what I... It's, it's, it's not safe for shuffle. Like, it's not what you want interspersed amongst the more happy yeah. listeners. I mean, I, 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 I'm anti-shuffle. Yeah. I still listen to, well, vinyl. 
and I finish the side. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, unless I really, you know, unless it's like Huey Lewis sports and I've had enough. And <laughs> when know? I want to really indulge in an emotional moment, you totally do that because you let the belly side, you know, you let the belly CD play through or Courtney Love. Like, Live Through This is an amazing album. Okay. It's of a moment and it's amazing and I have personal resonance to it. And if I'm in a certain mood and I want to indulge it or work through it, you totally listen to the whole side. So, right. I, or not the whole side because it's a CD, but the whole in the order right. the artist right. wants it to be. Right. But if you're walking through the city and you not listen to podcasts and you hit shuffle, like you don't want this in the middle of it because you're just going <laughs> to hit fo- fast forward. You're going to go next. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. So next up here, we have uh, Genesis from 1971. This is Genesis with Peter Gabriel. And Phil Collins. And Phil Collins, a Mm -hmm. fantastic drummer, actually. The album is Nursery Crimes. The song is The Return of the Giant Hogweed. Let's listen. It's funny because you can totally see, or I, I feel that I can hear where... Phil Collins goes from this. But this must have frustrated Peter Gabriel so much. You think so? I don't hear the proto-Peter Gabriel in this as much as I hear the proto-Phil Collins in this. I wonder if they think these songs are too long at this point. What's that? I wonder if they listen to this now and go, hmm, this is too long. (laughs) But if that's what everyone's doing and that's the moment in musicality or if that's the thing you do to make a statement against the four-minute radio, easily programmed radio chunk, then you do that. And you do that for a reason that's historically um, relevant. And in the moment, you're doing it as a transgressive thing, which history might not look so nicely yet. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at some of the hits from that year. You know, we start with My Sweet Lord by George Harrison. All right. Uh, me and Bobby McGee, Janis Joplin. Joy to the World, Three Dog Night. I mean, so this is happening at the same right, time right. as Genesis. I mean, that's kind Brown of Brown like Sugar, the, Rolling Stones. And it was all... But the, what's extraordinary about even into the early 70s is it's all still new. It's all... Music is popular... I'm, I'm doing the uh, finger quotes here. Air quotes, yes. Air quotes. Uh, popular music, as we understand it now, was still in its... Well, in some ways, this was in its teen years at this point. Like, it's formative. It's not that there wasn't popular music, if you look at it historically, in the late 1800s, once uh, you could publish scores easily. Right. Because you look at books written in the 1800s, like the Little House on the Prairie books, where they talk about when music would come to the West, to the prairie, and everyone could have that piece of music. Like other... Like, right, pre, pre-phonograph records. Pre-phonograph People records. People had either a guitar or a piano. And you had yeah. to... Or Pa had his violin yeah. in, Little, in Little House on the Prairie. But... The idea of everyone being on the same page of what's happening in music, we can all experience at the moment... 
We could build up a fandom through radio. I mean, in 1970, radio is what? 40 years old? Uh, I don't know the exact numbers on but that. About but about that. Yeah, about that. So, yeah. I mean, I don't think we think about it in those terms. That right. These people are still... There's so many edges to play with right. that we don't have anymore. But they're like, this song, I don't know that this ever made it on the radio. The previous song that we listened right. to did. It right. still gets airtime. Amazingly it's enough, funny in enough, this strikes me as... Well, until this nonsense happened at the back end. <laughs> Prior to this, which is cool, but what does this have to do with any of the lyrics that they were, or any of the point of the story that they're telling through their lyrics? Which I think there was in a way that there wasn't in the King Crimson, Crimson one. Yes, this has sort of a mythical fairy tale story, you know, the return of some right. giant plant that's going to, I don't know, do something to mankind or some nonsense. <laughs> but this felt more like a song, and that felt more like music. So you feel like this has more, uh, this well, this is more first, accessible. The first half of it's more accessible. Where, where there were lyrics and right. before it got all cathedrally. And, right. And uh-huh. then it was just, okay, these guys like playing their instruments, and they're going to do that for a while, and sure. we're going to go on for the ride, which is... <laughs> fine and again they're they're pushing you have to see this in context they're pushing boundaries right in a way when we look at what what other what was on the radio this is very different right i mean they're uh intentionally doing the opposite of what the commercial thing to do would be right they these guys went to art school right and they you know so there was this was a statement and you know yeah and i guess that's why i if it turns out that I'm more forgiving or more willing to see the sides, the people I listen to 15 years later were the people who went to art school. Right, you know? right, right. <laughs> and they probably listened to some of these and records. they listened to some yeah. of these records. And the idea of doing something a little more than whatever is going to sell on Top 40 radio is of interest to me. Right, sure, sure. Right. So what, what, did, you, what did you think of that song? I mean, but... <sighs> Um, Are you going to run and buy no. this? <laughs> okay. It's two no's. Uh, I don't know. No. Happy, happy to have heard it. Happy to see where Peter Gable came from. Yeah. But uh, because I think. Yeah, he wouldn't be who he, who he became no. had he not gone here Absolutely. first. Absolutely. Um, but the hooks I'm looking for to purchase and listen to over and over again are clever lyrics, emotionality, stuff that maybe none of these bands provide. Um, Although there are, I mean, you know, if this showed up somehow in a movie soundtrack and it was part of, and, and so there was some emotionality imposed upon it, well, yeah, that's that's a that's an interesting point because Genesis and Peter Gabriel specifically really got into the theatrics of right. it. He would wear these crazy, you know, costumes where he looked like a giant hemorrhoid or something like that, and uh, so that was part of it. So sometimes uh, you, you, the visual right. played an important part. Right. So that that's a good point. Right. So next up, we're going to 1971 <laughs> with Yes. And the Can't song say is, no to yes. 
you can. You can. Have, you you know. You got the panic button. All right. You can time out whenever you want. So we're going to roundabout. Okay. Oh, fragile. Oh wait, there are lyrics I can read. Well, there have been on all of these. Those were too small. Okay. <laughs> This was fun to roller skate to. It just seems such a bizarre thing to roller skate to because my experience of this is like, let's do enough drugs where we can't get off the couch and put this record on. Not when you're 15, or maybe when you're 15. When I was 15, yeah. So let me ask you this, Is, is there a progression here? Like. Was Genesis a little more accessible than uh-huh. King Crimson? There's definitely a progressive. And now you're you're actually enjoying. This. I am totally enjoying. Okay. This. I'm enjoying this twofold because I'm enjoying sort of the sort of nostalgia of it. Sure. This is one I absolutely. It's remember. bringing you to a time and a place. Yeah. yeah. And, but I'm also thinking that it's just e- easier. Even as you can see, like, if I start, stop and step back and think about it, even in 72, they're doing things that the majority of bands are not doing. Right. They're juxtapo- there are a lot of weird juxtapositions in this. And you have to have already decided you're into that and you want that. You want that sort of edginess that there are different things out there. The world is bigger than my world. And I think really, especially with what's going on right now, The world is divided into two people. People who want the world to be bigger than their world and the people who don't. Right, right. And this this was like, if you were 12 and listening to this, this was like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like all the different things. I can't follow it. Are we in the same song? What the hell's going on? Like, but Was this the same thing we started listening to? Like, but there's something very, but it also is the first one that feels that it's, Starting to get to that pop hook. Right. Yeah. Pause. Not pause. Positive is the wrong word, but that pop hook. Let your shoulders move. It's it's more danceable, certainly. It's totally more. Yes. At least it's they're more not, I mean, yes fun do, to jump around to. Right. I'm not right. sure you can dance to this. I mean, it's 4-4. Right. Yes could do a lot of the polyrhythmic stuff, but this song is very is more accessible. But it's accessible within all these transitions between instruments and tonality. Right. And somehow, okay, somehow with this one as compared to Genesis, this whole nonsense, we're just going to be doing a lot, throwing a lot of instrumentals of different timing and instruments and weird synth electronica that we've just learned how to do three minutes ago at a wall to see what sticks. (laughs) Uh, This holds you in and still feels cohesive to the beginning. And Genesis did it. Genesis had a song and then they did that. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. A little more disjointed. Yeah. Okay. Well, also, this is later in the game. Mm -hmm. So all of these guys were getting used to this new equipment. So there's that aspect of it too. And realizing that you needed to give people lyrics even in this part. Like you could go away from it, but you had to come back to lyrics. Right, right. 
thoughts? Did you did you cover it all while we were listening? I would be happy to, if this came up in my shuffle. Okay. Are you going to go out and buy the buy the, these tracks tomorrow? If money was no object, I would buy this one. <laughs> this one song. <laughs> okay. I, I'm, I'm sensing some progress here. You know, I mean, I, if you don't, I mean, you know, it's like eating your money. Like, uh, I, if I don't like something, I, I'm not going to wait to see where it's going to go. You know? Okay, that's scary. So this is, uh, I think we're jumping to 1973 here. Okay. With... Uh, Brain Salad Surgery uh, by Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Uh, the song is Carnival. Nine, impression one, part one. Let's listen. Jazzy. See, it's whatever that sort of pinball machine, early arcade game, pinball machine-y. That's the synth. Yeah. The one in our yeah. Our left ear now. Yeah. And that's what makes this sound more generic than the rest. Oddly. There's something about this that just feels very generic of this period and this type of thing to Interesting. me. Interesting. Like, if you were making a movie about this period and you wanted a song to represent this, you would do something like this. <laughs> Vaguely pinball machine-y. <laughs> pinball machine <laughs> Fantastic. Like, I can almost feel that this part, this, this chunk, over... The end credits of a 1976 or 7 movie. Mm-hmm. Which I know is a few years later, but I'm, I'm waiting. That's sort of to give it time to shift down. Right, right. I get that they did it first. But for some reason, whatever they caught, other people copied a lot. Yes, this this influence. I yeah. mean, this was a big, this was their Sgt. Pepper, right, right. this album. That 12 people listened to. Look, I was a linguistics major of sorts, semiotics, film studies. Story is important to me. And music became, like, I listen to music. We're surrounded by music. And there was music that became important to me, but there are other things that were more in my forefront. So unless something, like, grabbed me by the lapels, uh, it was someone else's job to tell me what to listen to. And you said that that was typically the boys. And it was typically the boyfriends. And I was lucky enough to have boyfriends who, well, I, I sometimes think that, especially in my 20s, the boyfriends and the music I listened to, that was one of those things that was an identifier. Like, because living in Philly and going to see a lot of live music, it was, oh, my God, you saw the Mekons. Oh, my God, you saw uh, Galaxy 500. Oh, my God, you saw Yola Tango. It was... Mm-hmm. A, it was important enough, and then, oh, you went to see an Adam McGoyan movie. Oh, you are watching Buffy. Like, whatever it was, it, they, it was identifiers, which I think a lot of people use music as. My music was just more, I didn't care if you listened to Top 40. I'm not sh- Like, Madonna was Top 40. I like right. Madonna. Madonna was fine. I saw her live once in, in, in um, one of her early tours. That was cool. But I didn't care. Like, the music I cared about was the 
was the smaller label grunge indie pop Betty Severe British stuff, mm-hmm. you know, the more obscure stuff. And so if a guy said he liked that, well, you know, that's a good thing. <laughs> um, that was points. But yeah, music definitely played that role in my 20s. And um, and so I feel like there... And then you get locked into the music you liked in your 20s, right? I mean, I don't think... Typically, yeah. That's why I'm asking that question right. at the and, beginning. Yeah. And so it's not that there isn't outstanding music now, but I learn about it through TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but music, I don't know. Sometimes I think music is more, for some people, and maybe for me, it's more about, if it isn't sort of the background static music that we all have, it's about emotional resonance, mm-hmm. then maybe even movies or TV are. Movies and TV are about thematic resonance. Sometimes right. music is more directly emotional. So do you, do you feel like this stuff that we've been listening to <laughs> resonates with you emotionally? Um, the yes one made, was like poppy and was happy. Uh-huh. Well, even if the lyrics weren't, it felt that way. It felt energetic. Uh, uh, these feel like exercises in complexity and Certainly, yes. intellectualism mm-hmm. and right. and uh, maybe even important steps in claiming territory that other people might then mine in a different way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So again, because of looking at how intellectual history makes us the society we are, I really can see its importance and can appreciate it and try and imagine the moment of 69 or 71 or 73 when people listened to this and there was nothing else like it in the world. Right. And that must have been, even if you were going to end up going, oh my God, this is the most boring thing I've ever heard, still like, but someone thought of it. Someone did this. We're in the point that I can listen to the most boring thing. I've ever heard and (laughs) screw you dad Um, and so I see its point historically but for me not so much right okay well with that (laughs) let's listen to one more we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up in 1980 one we're gonna make a big leap here shit uh, and I just, okay, I back guess closer to my era. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I wanted to, uh, uh, sort of, this is like the tail end of prog rock. Uh, Rush's moving pictures was, they were getting away from, uh, the, the, the 20 minute songs. And, you know, I mean, the first album they did that with was permanent waves, or, you know, songs like Spirit of the Radio or, okay. or things like that. You know that song, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and then this one, this was their, I mean, this might be their most popular uh, single, their most popular song, uh, Tom Sawyer. Tom Sawyer. So you know Tom Sawyer. I we do. all do. I mean, we've heard it uh, many, many times on the radio. Talk about, you know, something with a, uh, with story built in. Right. Right. Yeah, reference to, to Mark Twain, yeah. sure. Um, 
I'm not sure it's, I think they're using that as a metaphor. It's definitely a metaphor. Uh, but, but still, uh, it is, it's starting with a metaphor. They feel that 98% of their listeners will uh, have some experience with. Right. Yeah. We all read this book. Or saw the movie. Tom Sawyer. Rush. I think that was the other thing about listening to the radio in the early 80s was it really was a smorgasbord in a way that it hadn't been previously and maybe was never again. And that's a point that... Um, that it was very schizophrenic that no one quite knew what represented the masses right? because anything could. <sighs> This is seven years later from the last thing I listened to, and doesn't, except for a couple of, this is obviously more electronica. There's a lot of synth in this, yeah. A lot more synth, leaning heavier. It's so the same. So what's funny is coming out of this is, I really want you to listen to the Xanadu soundtrack and see if any of it is close to prog rock or if it's all just stupid to you. Uh, It's probably stupid, uh, but, uh, you know, I'll give it a listen. You know, it might have its elements. Yeah. Well, you know, Rush had a song called Xanadu, but it's very different from that. Yeah, I, I remember Xanadu a, a bit. Uh, didn't it? It didn't. Wasn't it part of a movie? It's totally. It is yeah, a movie. Okay. It's Gene Kelly's last movie. Gene Kelly. Oh, yeah. okay. The muse, Xanadu. She's the muse of creativity. Come down to earth to help this poor, struggling songwriter. So, you've listened to uh, thirty-eight and a quarter minutes of prog rock. I feel like my life is better for it. <laughs> Do I need to listen to another 38? Not so sure. So so, so do you like prog rock? <laughs> there was way too long a pause. Very pregnant pause. No, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to marshal my thoughts. So what I would say is twofold. Okay. One, I like to think I like anything that marks people trying to find the edges of their experience. And this definitely does. Sure, yeah. So it's I've always had an interesting thing about like versus appreciate. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, I think it's really good that it exists and it's really important that it exists and it should be – people need to get why you have to go through different steps to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. And this was – prog rock absolutely should stand up straight and tall – and be accepted in the history of music as an important piece. Mm-hmm. There are probably only four songs that I probably would actually like. <laughs> and we listened to one of them. So how cool is that? Right, right. So so in general terms, speaking only in terms of like, do you like prog rock? I like some of it. <laughs> I'm looking for a yes or a no. Um, I would go then on yes. Yes. Okay. I would go on the yes, because would I want to listen to four hours of it in a row? No. But if it came on... <laughs> four hours of any band is a right. much. Well, except you... I mean, we all have those bands that we put on loop when we're feeling happy or sad or whatever. Sure, sure. Uh, 
the problem with prog rock is at some point it all just, it's just, there's a lot of it. Well, there is. Well, but I mean, there's more. Well, no, I mean, each song, there's a lot of it. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes, yes. But and then, you know, but within an album, there's less songs. Well, that's true. Sometimes you've got true. Four, four songs on an album. Yeah. And one of that's them true. takes up side B. Right. You know. Right. And the question is, is there other genres that also come close to that, that people might enjoy, like might have this dissidence with? Mm-hmm. And I kind of a good question. wonder if your ultimate question or original question is just wrong because, you know, it, it, this is going to be what music to get laid by or what's the title? The of Sound it? of Not Getting Laid. So The Sound of Not Getting Laid. Let's say you're someone who loves protest rock. Mm-hmm. Joan Baez. Mm hmm. Woody Guthrie, Bob Woody Dylan, Guthrie, yeah, Bob sure. Dylan yeah. Pete Seeger. Yeah. How late are you getting to those? It's a good point. Well, if the person you're hanging out with is into that. That's still I mean, not, you know. I still don't think those are the songs you put on the album. You, you would, put on the you mellow tones. You wouldn't of, put on Slayer to get busy with, right? Right. But it's happened. Has it? Right there. <laughs> yes yes because we were right. both we were both into it and right, both right. into each other right. so why not you know right. let's have a slayer orgy why not right um so and and I, you know it's, so is it and the, i've dated girls who who like prog rock yeah but Did is we it put the, it on when we were getting intimate you no. start losing the rhythm because the rhythm keeps changing well, yeah, you, you can't try to keep up with the song. That's that's uh, that's that's Olympic level uh, lovemaking there. That's, that's crazy. tantric or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe Sting can pull that off. I don't know. He Maybe claims, that's what Sting and Trudy do. He claims to fuck his wife for two hours at a time. I don't know. Yeah, I, I want to see the proof. Where's, where's the tape? <laughs> Yoga and only eating food grown on your own property. Is that is that what he claims? Is, yeah, uh, but he has property in like four different countries. Yeah, so yeah, it's like if you're rich, you get to he, do that. He, he has the luxury of, right. of living right. like that. Right. right. <laughs> that was fantastic. Thank you. Aim to please. Well, there you have it, folks. An ambiguous, tentative, and over-intellectualized yes from Lisabeth. I did listen to Xanadu, Lisabeth, and it did totally suck. Thanks to my guest, Lisabeth Lankin. Without her, I would have gotten drunk on the couch alone, watching repeats of Mission Impossible. And a special thanks to you, the listener. Because as we all know, if a podcast is playing in the woods and no one's around to hear it, it sucks. 